Hi everyone, welcome back to our show, To That Point. We cover topics at the intersection of business and culture. If you've enjoyed the series so far, go ahead and text this episode to a friend and leave us a review wherever you're listening. Our next conversation takes a critical look at one important component of the fashion industry, textiles. We're hoping to better understand what it means to reduce textile waste and extend sustainability throughout the supply chain. This episode, we want to deep dive into two sustainability trends that we've been watching. First is the rise of circular business models in the fashion industry and how it's starting to overthrow the more traditional throwaway culture. Second is the rise of slow fashion and the power of the maker and DIY community. Thrift flip videos and knitting challenges inspired by Harry Styles are going viral on TikTok and show how the topic of sustainability is becoming more mainstream as people are inspired to get hands-on and tackle upcycling as a new craft project. Many people have been making use of clothing, waste, and mending techniques for years, both out of need and also respect for the environment. It's good for the planet that the younger generation is adopting this mindset, of course, but we can't forget how this shift started with them. We already know that the fashion industry is one of the most wasteful and polluting. It's responsible for 20% of global water waste and 10% of greenhouse gas emissions. The use and washing of polyester is a major contributor to microplastics in water, and the toxic chemicals used in dyeing processes have turned rivers blue. You might think that after all of that, we would at least treasure the material being produced, but the U.S. alone generates over 15 million tons of textile waste every year. Luckily, social entrepreneurs are up for the challenge of reducing this textile waste and creating communities of makers that encourage slow, purposeful fashion. Today, we're talking to Irina McKenzie, the founder of FabCycle, a Vancouver-based company that works with manufacturers and designers to collect the scraps and dead stock material that are left over in the production process. Their goal is to reuse or recycle what these companies cannot use and divert textile waste from landfills. FabCycle also facilitates a reuse makerspace and community of rising makers and artists. Thank you, Irina, for agreeing to come on to the podcast, and we're really excited for you to share more about the wonderful operation that you've built. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to be part of this podcast. To kick us off, uh, throughout this season, Jasmine and I have been learning a lot about what sustainable and ethical production looks like in the fashion industry, and I think the definition kind of varies person to person. So I'd love to hear from you what sustainable fashion or sustainable production means, and how does textile waste and dead stock kind of fit into that? Yeah, for sure. I'd love to speak about that. So I would break down your question. You asked about sustainable fashion and sustainable production. And actually, these two things are very different. And the reason for that is with any product development, whether they be in fashion or whether it be any other product, food or construction, whatever it is, there is a life cycle that happens within the product itself. So there is a life cycle where it starts with, um, you know, for example, talking about fabric again you grow fabric fiber let's say if it's a cotton you have fields or if it's polyester you manufacture it in a, in a factory and then there's the processes of creating the actual fabric out of the fiber so there is a production process of creating a fiber then there's finishing processes of dyeing and different other finishing chemicals then once you have the fabric then it goes to let's say a factory to be able to cut and sew it using the patterns to create the garments and then from there, there's other stages. So within every product development, there's different stages that is part of the life cycle assessment that a lot of times is done to determine whether the, the, the process is sustainable or not. And until it goes to the consumer, which is another stage. So pr- production is a stage, 
manufacturing is a stage and production for fiber manufacturing of the of the finished garments distribution is another stage and there's also stages stages in between like for example the freight that goes that you have to use to trans transport uh, from one place to another then after that it goes to consumers and then with the consumer stage there's the the usage stage which is also very uh, very has a lot of uh, huge impacts for example with the washing machine and electricity and water usage within the garment and then after that there is the end use stage which is what happens after the consumer is finished uh, using uh, the garment and so which every single stop for example and every stage of this life cycle there are different ways that they can be optimized to be a lot more sustainable, not just for environmental and social reasons, but also for costs as well. And so it's really interesting because when I get asked when, you know, what is sustainable, it's a really complex answer because there's different things you can do in every stage of the production of the product itself. And so there's not just like one answer. There's just different fragmented things that can be done. For us, particularly, we're really interested in textile waste, and even within textile waste, which is the end, the end use. It's after it reaches the consumer. There are different ways. There are different streams of textile waste. Even textile, you can say fashion and apparel is one type of textile waste. You can say there's upholstery and there's automotive textiles. There's a different one. And even within that, there's clothing, which is considered to be post-consumer textile waste because it's after the consumer use it. And what we work with is actually something called pre-consumer textile waste, which is any everything that doesn't reach the consumer. So things like scraps, offcuts, end of rolls, dead stock, things like that. That's like a fabric, I mean. So it's a really, really fascinating industry because of the complexity, because how big it is, because how many stakeholders are part of it. And so when somebody wants to really kind of dig deep, deep, deep inside, at the beginning, it feels really overwhelming because of the amount of information that you have to really comprehend to see the bigger picture. But then you'll be able to kind of deep dive and understand where's your interest lies and where you feel more passionate about exploring more. And so sustainability is also a question of like who is asking and what for. So if you ask me about somebody asked me as a consumer, how can it be more sustainable? That's one answer. But if you ask me as a producer, how can it be more sustainable? That's another answer. And that's because consumer is one step of the process of the life cycle and, produ- and producers are in a different life cycle. So there's different things they can do. Right. It makes sense that the answer is really complex as well, because I think it's just been in the past few years that this world is being exposed a bit more to consumers like Jasmine and I. You're starting to see brands like Everlane and some smaller indie brands who are willing to take consumers a little bit inside and be a bit more transparent into the entire process. But like you said, we're learning more and more how complex and intertwined all the different pieces of the process are. The amount of information Montana and I have learned in the past month or so on the topic of sustainability is extensive. There's a lot to learn, and it takes a lot of knowledge to understand how the current system works, what exactly needs to change, and where you can seek to make an impact. We know that social entrepreneurship wasn't your first career move, and that FabCycle actually isn't your first foray in the textile waste world. You come from a background in law and transitioned into this career through the Framework Education Society. Can you share more about that experience? How did you find yourself in the apparel industry? And how did you spin up all of this knowledge on textile waste, dead stock, and sustainable design? Yeah, for sure. Thank you for the question. So, yes, I studied law. <laughs> so I definitely come came to this uh, from a completely different background. I don't have any fashion or design background. And everything I know is basically just like things I've learned hands-on and on the field and just talking to 
gazillion of people in the industry and really learning from them and learning what works, what doesn't work. And so I had an opportunity to make a leap to social entrepreneurship when I did a program called Grantswell Education Society. It's a Vancouver-based social entrepreneurship business school. It had a program that was, well, it still does, uh, a program that is completely different from any other business school or any other entrepreneurship program that I did. And the reason for that is because it was focusing on social entrepreneurship. But social entrepreneurship, not as only as external tool, but also as an internal sort of like a compass guiding searching. So what I mean by that is that what was very different with this program is that at first we were tasked with really finding our own internal compass and understanding who we are as a as an individual and also what do we care about, what inspired us, what motivates us. And coming from that standpoint of really the root, deep uh, understanding of our own motivations, we were encouraged to build a social entrepreneur uh, enterprise based on those values in that understanding of who we are as a human being and what motivates us. And I think doing this process and really, really, really committing to it really kind of what helped me to discover that I was just really interested in working with very creative people. And I somehow found myself within Textile, which is, again, it was completely, it's random, but not random. Uh, I don't have any background, but I was always interested in textiles and apparel. And I, the more I learned about myself, the more, more I learned about what I really I love doing and where I want to see myself in a couple of years, the more it kind of became apparent that I, I do have a place in this industry and I, I just need to find it. And so the more I was digging into it, the more I found that actually up- upcycling was the first thing that I discovered. And it was just through a lot of research that we had to do. And I, uh, and it was through Pinterest, actually. I remember the first thing that I really sparked by kind of aha. Actually, I had two big aha moment, moments. The first one when, and that was, uh, my July, like 2013 or 14. I was just looking through Pinterest and I just, uh, look into upcycling. And at the time, upcycling wasn't as big as it is today. It was more kind of like craftier style, a bit more like bohemian, not as like super cool as it is today. But something about it was really fascinating to me because it was something about that that mindset of looking at an object and seeing the value within it that is for others in my consider considered to be waste, but seeing the value and completely changing the way the design process works. And starting from different standard points. So that was the big one. And the second big aha moment for me was when I learned about the circular economy. And that was just understanding that there is like a much larger picture than just upcycling. There is a whole industrial economy approach, which is what circular economy are around, that speaks about benefits to the economy, speaks about different business models like repair, reuse, speaking about different collaborations, talking about, you know, the the difference between linear economy where we live in right now, the take, make, dispose model and transferring it to circular economy. That was huge. That was completely huge because it created a context to the work I've been doing and it created like a whole purpose. And so based on that, I started an initiative called Framework Education Society, and it's uh, currently grown into uh, a nonprofit where we do community repair events in Vancouver. So we do, well, before COVID, of course, we used to go to community centers and libraries and bring a bunch of sewing machines and invite people to bring their own clothes, and then we would just teach them how they can repair their clothes. So we don't do it for them. We're not an alteration service. We actually encourage people, if they want to pay for something, they should go give business to local alteration businesses because we need to maintain those as well. They're really important. But if they are willing to take a risk, bring something they love, the clothing piece that they love, and learn how to sew a button, repair a zipper, things like that, 
we have the machines, we have the volunteers, we have the time to do that. And so we really grew into a really just beautiful nonprofit that pre-COVID, we were extremely busy. We have 50 events per year. And then now we're in the stages of uh, pivoting because with COVID, we have a new reality. And so we have to understand how can we to continue to engage in our community within these activities, but from a safe distance where we can still do this and fulfill our mission. And the other initiative that I started a couple of years ago that just speaks of a different audience, but it's not, it's also completely important is more the, the design, the fashion designers industry. So we have a group called Vancouver Sustainable Fashion Designers. And if you are a designer and you are in the Vancouver area, I would really would want to warmly welcome you to join our Facebook group because what we have in the group is something really magical that, create, that started. And it's, uh, uh, we have a really close-knit community of Vancouver sustainable fashion designers that share a lot of information and help each other. And that's something that is not very common in our industry where you share information because a lot of times the industry is non-transparent and it's very difficult to get information or really difficult to really get going. And so having a community that can support you and have somebody you can ask and just like even talk to about or just have a bunch of people that just really want to help you because they've been there and they know how hard it is. It's absolutely incredible. And so, yeah, I'm really proud of these projects. And yeah, and then I'm excited to see what the future will bring us. Yeah, those all sound really fantastic. And I'm sad that I'm not closer to Vancouver because I would love to to meet up with you guys. But I guess that kind of leads us into how you decided to launch FabCycle after a few really successful initiatives. And I'm also really curious, I think it's fantastic to embrace the circular economy model. It's something that in our careers, we we deal with a little bit, just kind of helping big companies pivot to new business models. So I'm curious how you landed there and maybe what some of the challenges were as well, because I know it's really big and promising, but I'm sure it wasn't easy building FabCycle. Absolutely. I mean, it's still not easy. Don't get me wrong. I mean, with any business, right? Like you're trying to create something, especially if it has a purpose behind it. It's not just a business that just to make money. Uh, there are some serious challenges because we're still living in uh, a linear economy and we're still living in an economy where we have to make enough to be able to support our operations. So FabCycle started a couple of years ago after I participated in an industry consultation process where we were discussing what's going to happen if we have a textile waste ban in our region. And it was really fascinating because it was a process that involved a lot of different stakeholders, like brands, sorters and graders, policymakers that all talked from their perspective what's going to happen if we have a textile waste ban. And I learned a lot from that process. And also, and what I did learn is that we do have somewhat a system to deal with clothing, which is, as I mentioned, is a called post-consumer textile waste. But when it comes to dealing with pre-consumer textile waste, things like scraps, offcuts, and things basically that if you have a production facility like a factory that makes clothes or a brand that makes clothes in-house, all the leftover scraps, like the negative space from the fabric cutting, that's all considered to be waste. And it cannot live within the existing business model that clothing are being handled because scraps have no value. Uh, we started actually getting really interesting usable materials like fabric rolls. And so because we didn't want to send them for recycling and it was harder to find people that reuse them one-on-one, we, re- we decided to do a little pop-up shop in downtown Vancouver. And it was really fascinating because we had people lining through the door just to just to get in and just get those dead stuff materials. And so that was a really interesting validation where we realized that people are ready and 
are wanting to use those materials. But we didn't know when's the next time we're going to get another batch of and the rolls. But we did quite a lot of times, actually. So we started getting more and more materials that are usable in their current state and not just scraps. And so we decided to open the Textile Waste Reuse Center in last year in February. And it's been, it's been a really fascinating process because we actually added another thing to our, to our business model. So instead of just doing the collections of textile waste, just the scraps, we added a more consumer-facing an e-commerce and a retail, which is the Textile Waste Reuse Center, to help us divert that textile waste. And that's the mission. That's the whole point behind what everything we do is basically continue circulating the existing materials we have. Because there's so much textile waste that exists and there's absolutely no point of recycling or dumping it because we just need to be able to find people that can use it. And that's exactly the job, the way we see it for ourselves is to be the organization in between that can connect people that have organizations that have waste and creatives that can actually utilize that waste for their creative projects so they don't have to buy new materials and the organizations that have waste can actually get it moving and not, not, not dumping in the landfill. So we are right now in Vancouver. We have an, uh, we moved to a slightly larger textile waste reuse center and it's completely full to brim with really beautiful materials. And we get stuff from all over. We work with the film industry, we work with uh, brands and factories and fashion design schools and basically any creatives that are working in the apparel industry. And our community is absolutely wonderful. We work with so many artists and designers and people that sew for a hobby and basically anybody that just needs access to materials because our all our materials are lower price, so they're accessible. We even have a lot of free stuff that we give. And this is really a community space, which has been harder to maintain since COVID, but the spirit is the same. And so we're trying to just connect people through online resources because it's really harder to connect people in person right now for obvious reasons. So yeah, it's been a really interesting growth process and we're still growing. Things are still changing all the time. That's fantastic. And just remind us, do you pay for any of the materials or are they just sent to you by the partners? No, no, we actually encourage anybody that has fabric that is usable, we actually encourage them to try to sell it so they can get some value back out of it. But if they can sell it and if they don't want to deal with the logistics because it is quite a pain, then we will take it. So we are just like one step before it goes to the landfill. So we don't, we don't buy anything. We are actually, we, we don't, that stock that is bought is a lot of times is overstock. And there is a market for that, depends on the scale. We don't work for that. We work with an actual dead stock that is actually going to the landfill if we didn't get it. And that's that's our mission. That's what we do. So that's that's what's important. Got it. Yeah, I feel like it's becoming a bit more of a trend now to see smaller designers coming out with collections that are made out of dead stock. And I think it's really fun for the consumer because you know it's going to be unique and you know that there won't be a bunch of runs of the same thing. So you feel a bit more inclined to buy it when it actually comes out. And obviously it's just better in general for the slow fashion movement. So I think that's really fantastic. And it's kind of like Fab Cycle comes in to save the day at the right at the last second before it goes to the landfill. So that that's great. That's that's what we try to do. And we really encourage people to, you know, if they have other options, then go for it for sure. But if you don't, that's what we're here for. One of the things that excites us the most is that apparel waste is no longer a close your eyes and pretend it's not happening scenario. When you find a shirt or a pair of jeans in the back of your closet that you don't want anymore, 
you now have the means to understand what might happen to that garment if you throw it in the trash, and the power to extend the life of the clothing through different means, whether that's donating, reworking, or repurposing the clothes. What excites you about the future of fashion and textiles? And what scares you? What do you wish people were paying more attention to? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think we're right now in really, really, really interesting times. There's a lot of uncertainty with what's happening with the fashion industry because of COVID, because of un- unstable political and economical conditions right now, because of different trade agreements are happening, because of orders are getting canceled, you know, with factories overseas. And so that affects not just the factories, but it affects everybody in the whole cycle of the production that I mentioned earlier in the product. So those kind of things are causing a major shift within our industry that also creates really interesting opportunities for new business models that are not reliant on the existing model from before. For example, there's a lot more opportunities for more circular models around rental, around repair, around reusing existing materials whether it be in the garment or even things that are related to fabric specifically. So I'm I'm seeing a lot more innovation within the business models because what is happening right now, and that really excites me because I do think we need a major shift within the industry and a lot more openness and transparency and accountability with what's happening. But also what's interesting is that I think we see a lot of shift within the consumer behavior and even with the designers. A lot of small designers, like you said, are using a lot of dead stuff. But what that causes is actually creating a smaller production cycles, creating less items, creating less waste as a result. And the more people do it, the more designers do it, the more there's conversation around that with consumers, the more we're going to be heading towards better uh, systems in the apparel industry. What scares me, I guess, it's we're actually going to revert to fast fashion. We're going to go back to that. That's what scares me more than anything. And what scares me, we're not going to do it fast enough because we are still operating within the threats of climate change, which is very real. And my big fear is that we're not doing things fast enough or more efficient enough. So we can pat ourselves in the back for doing all these really amazing things, but we're not going to do it fast enough. We're not going to do it efficient enough. It's not going to matter for ourselves and our children. So that's what scares me the most. There are many budding designers and large fashion brands that are eager to incorporate more sustainable practices into their work but are stuck in these fast fashion habits that are difficult to change only because, quite frankly, it's how the majority of the industry operates. Getting a start in slow fashion can be daunting because you have to rethink your entire approach to design. What advice do you have that can help these people make the transition? I think it really depends who you're talking to because you mentioned consumers that purchase and you also mentioned brands are big brands and those are completely different in terms of the activities they could do. I think my biggest advice that actually relates to everybody is just knowing more is the more information you have, the better decisions you can make and the more sustainable and cautious decisions you can make. So whether you are a consumer or whether you're a larger company, information is really key in understanding your own operations, understanding your actions and understanding in what context you operate, like what is the larger picture. So if you're a consumer, I think it's really important to understand your your own actions and your, your own uh, behavior. So things like, you know, if you want to buy an item, why do you want to actually buy it? Like, what is why? Like, what is really the reason you want or need an item? Do you have something else in your closet that could work? Is this an emotional purchase or is it something you actually need? Also, things like, are you how much do you know about the brand you're buying from? Things like, you know, how much is the price affecting it? How much is the quality of the item matters to you? 
And if it doesn't, why does it matter? Like, do you want to know more? You don't want to know more? And that's the other thing is like the pressure that we have on all, all these consumers and the brands as well to, to have all this information. So I think it's a, about a matter of creating a balance with those things, but also it's a personal, I think, commitment to, to know more, to be better. And I think that relates to also not just uh, fashion or apparel create. It's, it's also concerns to food, you know, when you, where you buy your groceries, like what are you buying? What's in your food? For example, I think the food industry has quite a lot of really interesting processes and that they went through over the years about knowing more about your food, about transparency in the supply chains. So I think we can learn a lot of it actually when it's related to apparel industry as well. To bring this back to your experience with the Groundswell program and finding your way to FabCycle today, you came from a place of truly looking inward and understanding what is my intention? What purpose do I have? What power do I have? And what can I do with it? This sort of mindful thinking is something we can wield both within and outside of fashion to make more purposeful decisions in our lives. To wrap us up, what's next for FabCycle and what's your biggest goal for the future? Yeah, I think it relates to our mission and what we are here to do. Like we wouldn't exist if textile waste exists. And so our biggest mission is to divert textile waste from the landfill. And this is a really big mission, but it can be done in very different ways and different scales as well. And so our mission is the Vertexa Waste. And so our plan is to do that better and bigger so we can actually fulfill our mission and make a, a, like a good impact uh, directly and indirectly as well within not just our communities, but also in the, in the lives of the people we work with as well. And working with our, you know, partners, whether it be a company or whether it be a policymaker, whether it be a consumer as well, to fulfill that mission. I think that's what's really important. And so our goal is to do that exactly. So we need to be better. We need to be more efficient. We need to be resilient so we can actually make this thing working. And resiliency comes not just from money, from being able to fund ourselves. It also comes from creating better systems, better processes, great team having, establishing uh, networking and strategic partners that can support us. And of course, we can do this without the support of our community. So without this, like without our community, without connecting, without being able to, to talk about this and create more connections and create more conversations around textile waste, we're not going to be able to fulfill our mission. So our job is just to be better at what we do right now and divert a lot, a lot more textile waste. Amazing. Arena, thank you so much for coming on to the show and sharing your story. And to all of our listeners, you can learn more about FabCycle on Instagram at FabCycleVan and shop their online inventory and get some more inspiration at FabCycle.shop online. Arena, do you have any anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? Any other ways they can support FabCycle and the mission? Yeah. I love talking textile waste. So if you are listening, if you want to talk about textile waste, please get in touch either through fabcycle.shop or reach out to LinkedIn. And we'd love to connect more to people that want to talk about textile waste. And thank you for listening because you took uh, your time of the day to, to listen to this conversation. And I respect that and appreciate it very much. Thanks for tuning in. To That Point is created and produced by us, Montana and Jasmine. Big thanks to Levi Barry for the audio engineering and editing. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review, and follow along on Instagram at to that point. See you soon.